Our scripture reading this morning is found in the book of Exodus, chapter 16, verses 6 through 8. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. What is holding you back from the life that God created you to live? Are you being held captive by doubts, fears, or sins? Like the Israelites, we can get comfortable in captivity. Staying with the familiar can seem easier than moving forward in faith. The redemptive story of the Exodus reminds us that God wants to lead us out of captivity and that we can trust God as we journey to freedom. Expectations are powerful, aren't they? Expectations shape our emotional response, our feelings. They, they inform how we react to what is happening in life. Expectations are powerful. One of those responses that is often tethered to our expectations is that of gratitude. And so if we have expectations that something good is going to happen or someone is going to do something nice for us, then, then quite often we aren't as thankful as maybe we would be if we didn't have those expectations. New York Times columnist David Brooks wrote an article called The Structure of Gratitude. He explains some of this. And one of the things he says is, by example, he feels like sometimes he is grumpier and less thankful when he is staying in nicer hotels. He says, when I stay in a nice hotel, I, I have expectations about the room, about the service, about the amenities. He said, you know, in a nice hotel, I don't want to be crawling around looking for an outlet. I don't want to have to decipher how the shower operate, operates and the handles and which one is hot and which one is cold and how do you switch it from bath to, to shower. He said, in, you know, in a nice hotel, sometimes they think they're so nice that they can't put a coffee pot in every room. He said, sometimes when my expectations are higher, I'm not as happy. He said, but when I stay in a budget hotel, he said, you know, my expectations are lower and I'm generally pretty happy. He said, if they have a working iron and ironing board, man, that's a surprise. That's a, that's a good thing. If there's a waffle maker in the breakfast area, that's a treat. You can see how expectations are often tied to our responses. I think that's why sometimes expectations morph into entitlement. It's not just what I want, it's not just what I need, it's not even just what I expect, it's what I come to think I deserve. I deserve this. We have that mindset sometimes, this idea of being entitled. You say, well, what's the big deal? Because in our world, and certainly in our, in our nation, in our society, that is not necessarily frowned upon. In fact, it is encouraged. You look after yourself. You take care of yourself. Yes, you've worked hard. You do deserve certain things. But for someone who is a citizen of the, of the kingdom of heaven, I, I don't think that that is becoming of us. How does that impact our witness to the world when we are entitled 
when we feel like we deserve all the good that is given to us and all that is done for us, and we bring this sense of entitlement to God and to the church, you owe me. I deserve this. We sometimes think our children act entitled, and frankly, sometimes they do, but I can tell you it's not just our kids. Sometimes we all struggle with a sense of entitlement. And with that entitlement comes a lack of gratitude, a lack of thanksgiving. That is certainly the case for the Israelites. As God is leading them on this journey to freedom, out of Egyptian captivity, through the wilderness, through the Red Sea, into eventually the land of promise, we see this growing sense of entitlement, don't we? We see their expectations that things will be a certain way. And along the way, as their entitlement grows, their gratitude seems to diminish. We pick up the story in Exodus chapter 16, verse 1. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin. Now, it's not the kind of sin you're thinking, although it does fit here, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. (laughs) There's so much drama with the Israelites, isn't there? It is, they're so dramatic. So what happens? How do they respond to their life's situation, to their experience on this, on this journey? How do they respond? What do they do when their expectations collide with reality? They grumble against God. <laughs> they complain. They whine. They grumble against God. That is a theme of this whole chapter. In fact, seven different times we see that word, grumbled, or they're grumbling. That's not just the theme of this chapter. That seems to be the theme of their whole pilgrimage out of Egypt into the promised land. Day after day of grumbling, whining, and complaining. And notice what they do. As they grumble to God, they reminisce about the good old days. Man, back in Egypt, we got to sit around pots of meat. We had so much food, it was like an all-you-could-eat buffet. Do you remember that? I said, hey, do you want some more meat? Let's just reach down in the pot, get some more meat, because it's endless. It's all you want. They reminisced about the good old days. But you know what? They weren't that good. Sometimes we talk about the good old days. And I would just warn you, be careful about that. Because maybe they weren't as good as you thought. And certainly, I can assure you, they weren't necessarily good for everybody. So be careful about the assumptions you make when we reminisce about the good old days. You see, what we do is exactly what they did. We revise history. Especially if where we are now becomes in our minds more difficult or more unpleasant. The more unpleasant the present reality becomes, the more idealized the past becomes. Man, it was good back then. Do you remember back then, sat around pots of meat? Man, it was great. Well, if you look at the text, (laughs) I don't know that that's exactly what they did back in Egypt. 
You see words like suffering. You see increased demands of their labor. More expected from them, harder labor. Some of the Israelite officials were beaten. They didn't sit around pots of meat. They didn't sit around anywhere. They were up working. They were being oppressed. But for them, they could only think about what was as they wished for what could be. This idealized version of the past, this revisionist history of the good old days. So here we find them hungry and angry. They're hangry. And nothing productive comes when we're hangry, right? And so God steps in yet again, back in our text, verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them. Hang on to that word. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So once again, God provides for them. He sees his people are in need, and he gives them what they need. They're hungry, and so he feeds them. He will send a massive amount of quail at night, so they have all this meat. And in the morning, he will send manna from heaven. It will be on the ground. You say, what, what is it? That's right, what is it? That's what that word literally means, what is it? That's what they named it. It's kind of like who's on first, right? <laughs> they didn't know what to call it, so they called it what is it? Manna. These white little flakes or seeds, something that could be made into some type of bread or the text says a wafer that, that tasted like it had honey in it. So it must have been kind of sweet or the way they made it made it sweet. It was something that God provided for them and all they had to do was go out every morning and gather it up. That's it. He made it easy for them. But remember that word, test? The gathering of the manna became a test of sorts for the people. The test would determine if the food crisis also revealed a faith crisis. God wanted to know when I provide for my people, will they receive it with gratitude? Will they receive it in obedience? Will they receive my provision along with the parameters that come with it? Or will they turn inward? Will they do their own thing? Will the manna from heaven fill their stomachs but also feed their self-indulgence? Remember, as entitlement increases, gratitude often decreases. And have you noticed on their journey, as we've looked at several different episodes, several different scenes of their journey out of Egypt through the wilderness, have you noticed that rarely, if ever, do you see them pause and thank God? We see God with them all along, pillar of cloud, pillar of fire, parting the Red Sea, getting them out of Egypt, ten plagues, God is with them, but when do we see them stop and thank God, acknowledge God? Now back in chapter 4, at the end of chapter 4, when God sees their plight, he sees the suffering and the oppression, and he says, I'm going to rescue you, the people bow down, the text says, and worship God. But that was a long time ago. That was several chapters ago. Have you noticed they don't seem very thankful? They don't pause to thank God. 
And I think through this entire saga, through this entire thing, God is just wanting them to look up. God is just wanting to get their attention and remind them that he is with them, that he is for them, that they can trust him. He is trustworthy. He is faithful to them. He provides for them. He protects them. He wants them to look up. So in verse 6, notice what Moses and Aaron say. They say to the Israelites, In the evening you will know it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Moses and Aaron say, Look around, open your eyes. Everything that you see, everything that you have, it comes from God. Stop looking inward and just for a moment look upward. Verse 8, Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. What does that say about the heart of God? And it's almost like, it's almost like that parent who takes her hands and she cups them around her frantic child's face. Her child is all over the place. He's whining, he's crying, he's upset. And she just cups her hands around his face and she turns his face toward her and she just says, it's okay. It's okay, I'm gonna take care of you. I'm gonna take care of you. And that's what God is saying. As God takes his hands and he puts them around the face of his children, he says, it's okay. I'm gonna take care of you. Stop being so frantic. Stop complaining. Stop worrying. You see, the people had created something. They had created this own cycle of entitlement that they were caught in. Now, this isn't a a scientific model that's been proven by research. This is just from my observation of the way the people responded. You see, there was some expectation gap. Remember, we talked about expectations. They inform our Feelings, they shape our responses. There was this expectation gap from what they thought life would be as to what it was, and they are dissatisfied. They aren't happy. And so what do they do when they're not happy? They do the same thing we do. They complained. They whined. God heard their complaints. And God, in his infinite patience and mercy, what does he do? He provides for them. He takes care of them time and time again. They receive that provision, that blessing, and rather than thanking God for it, rather than saying, God, you are the one, the only one, our allegiance is to you, rather than conforming their will and their ways to his will, what do they do? It's just not long before there's more dissatisfaction. Their expectations maybe get higher and higher. Their sense of entitlement grows and grows, and here we go back in the cycle. They complain, God provides, they respond with ungratefulness. Now, it's easy for us to take something like that and and put it right on this text and say, yeah, that pretty much describes what they did, but I want you to do something else. I want you to take it and put it in the mirror and say, how often am I like that? I mean, don't we act this way sometimes? There's there's an expectation violation or a gap in our expectation in reality about a job, about life, about a relationship, something I've been praying about, about health, about something. And what do we do? 
in our dissatisfaction, we complain. Now, I'm not saying we lament. You go to the Psalms, there is lament there, pouring out your soul to God. Things aren't as they should be, God. This is, this is different. This is questioning God's provision. This is saying, God, I don't think you're taking care of me the way you should. And we complain to God. He doesn't answer our prayer the way we want it to. He doesn't answer the time manner or according to the terms we want. We complain. God provides what we need most. He may not provide what we want, how we want it, when we want it. He provides what we want most. And what do we do? Do we respond with gratitude? Are we grateful? Do we focus on the good things that God has given us? Or do we continue to be dissatisfied? Continue to complain. And not just complain to God, but complain to other people. And complain about other people to God. Complain about God to other people. Complain about people to people. Complain about the church to people. Complain about people to the church. You, you get where I'm going. Sometimes we just live this life of dissatisfaction that comes from entitlement, that leads to complaints and ingratitude. Again, what kind of witness is that to the world? When they see people who claim to be followers of Christ, this kingdom that honors love and mercy and patience and all the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of those things, and yet we complain all the time. What does that say to the world about us and about the one we follow? Remember, in our story, the food that he provided, that God provided, it came with a test, didn't it? It came with a test, a test of their faith. Will the people follow God's instructions? Will they conform their will to the will of God? Will they accept his provision along with the parameters that come with it? Or will they do their own thing? Will they be selfish? Will they go their own way? Will they be ungrateful? They are only supposed to collect enough food for that day, enough manna for that day. No more than that. That must have been difficult. This wasn't like the Tuesday before the big snowstorm supposed to hit, right? And all the weather people are saying, it's going to be bad, roads are going to be bad, and everybody flocks to the stores, right? And you buy enough food to last three months. This is get enough for that day. Each morning, they're just supposed to get enough for that day, except one exception. On the sixth day, they're supposed to get enough for two days, for the sixth day and for the seventh day, which is what? The Sabbath. Because God didn't want them out on the Sabbath working, collecting manna. So they were supposed to get two days' worth on the sixth day. You know what's interesting? One of the things about this he talks of the Sabbath before he has instituted the Sabbath, before the law has been given to Moses. Now, granted, this is written later, right? And so they look back on that, and it's all part of the collective history and the collective memory, and you can put the pieces together as the inspired author. But I think also this taps into creation theology. God rested on the seventh day, didn't he? And he wants his people to stop, to pause. Not just to rest because, boy, it's been a busy week. Part of that, yes. 
but to lift your eyes up and to acknowledge the giver of all good things, to acknowledge the one who is leading us on this journey to freedom. And so he says, get enough for just today. Well, how much is enough for the day? Well, they didn't have to guess. He tells them specifically. Get one omer per person per day. If you don't know what an omer is, don't worry. In verse 36, we're told an omer is one-tenth of an ephah. <laughs> What's an ephah? I don't know. It's ten times an omer. <laughs> Thankfully, along the, along the line somewhere, someone, when they put the maps in the Bible and some of the concordance, they also put a conversion table on measurements. And so an omer is about three to three and a half pounds of dry weight, okay? So think about a little bag of sugar or flour. Usually those are five-pound bags. And so maybe just a little over half of one of those bags, okay? So they were supposed to get that amount of manna per person in their family or in their tent per day. No more than that. So how would they do with the test? Would they follow God's instructions? You know where this is going. We saw already there doesn't seem to be much gratitude, so will there be obedience? The thing is, obedience and gratitude often go hand in hand. So back in our text, verse 19. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. Verse 20. However, <laughs> that's not a good place to be. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. You see what the people are doing, don't you? All right, so they didn't do so well on, on just using what they gathered for the day. How will they do on the sixth day getting food for the seventh day? Verse 26. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless... Some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? <laughs> I wouldn't say they passed the test, would you? I think it's so interesting what God is doing here. God, in many ways, is leveling the playing field, isn't he? He's saying everyone gets the same amount of manna. Everyone gets the same amount I think he's trying to teach them to trust him daily so you don't get more than the guy next to you. Well, what if I'm industrious and I get up earlier than him and I go out? Well, you get the same amount. Yeah, but what if I work harder? Don't I deserve to have more if I work harder? That makes sense, doesn't it? No, you get the same amount. This isn't a capitalistic community that we're dealing with here. And some of the people struggled with that. They struggled with that. They felt entitled to more. So they looked for loopholes and shortcuts to benefit themselves, to adjust the playing field, to come out on top. If the system allows it, I should be able to do it. If I can find a way to benefit myself, then I should be able to do that, right? That's what entitlement says. That's what entitlement does. The more you examine the Exodus story, I think the more we see this revealing look into the true condition of the human heart. <laughs> so many of the things that we see that they struggled with, we struggle with. It's the same thing. So instead of gratitude, how did they respond? 
They responded with greed. Rather than thanking God, they turned inward. They said, we want more. That's why we need reminders. That's why we need constant reminders that God is still God, that he's still in control, that he takes care of us, that he is faithful and trustworthy, that he provides for us. That's what communion is. It is a reminder. As Ken told us, that's what the 12 stones on the other side of the Jordan were. Reminders, symbols to remind you that God is with you. Look what God has done and will continue to do. That's what Passover was. A reminder to God's people that God is taking care of them. That he is trustworthy, faithful. And so when he gives them food, he also gives them a reminder. Verse 33, so Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it. Then place it before the Lord to be kept for the generations to come. God gave Moses specific instructions to take a jar, an omer of manna, and to hold on to it, to save it, to keep it for a reminder for generations that follow. So that when they see that, they will say, yes, do you remember when we were in the wilderness? Do you remember when God provided food for us? All we had to do was go out and collect enough for that day. Well, what about tomorrow? God took care of tomorrow. All we had to do was go out and just gather what we needed for that day. God took care of us. Hebrews 9 tells us that that jar, that omer of manna, ended up in the Ark of the Covenant. That's how important this reminder was. We need reminders. We need to remember the faithfulness, the provision, the goodness, the grace of God. Later this year, we're going to celebrate our 100th anniversary as the Edmund Church of Christ in this community. Did you realize that? You may not have realized that. Talk to Kent. I think he was around when it all started, so he can tell you stories. (laughs) He should have lots of stories. 100 years. That's a long time. Later this year, we're going to, to celebrate. We're going to do some things and, and really celebrate what God has, has done in us and through us and what we hope and pray God will continue to do in us and through us. But I wonder, as, as we think about where we are, where we're going, where we've been, I wonder if there are some omers of manna that we can hold up. Are there some jars of manna that we can hold up and say, let me tell you this story about how God provided. Let me tell you this story about how God led us through a difficult time. Let me tell you this story about how God showed grace and mercy to us. Let me tell you about how God provided for us, how he blessed us, how he used us to bless others. Let us tell you these stories. I know there are many. There are many stories. There are many omers of manna, if you will. And we need to tell those stories, not because they reflect anything on us, but they point us to the one who gives all good gifts, the one who provides, the one who blesses. And we should be thankful for what God has done and will continue to do. We should show gratitude. The people, while they continue to to grumble against God, now that he's given them food, They need something to wash it down with, so they complain about water. And in chapter 16, if grumbling is the theme, then chapter 17, they ramp it up a little bit and now becomes quarreling. They're ready to pick a fight with Moses. 
Chapter 17, verse 2, Moses says, why do you quarrel with me? Why, why are you trying to pick a fight with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? There's that word again. Do you remember the word previously? I think the inspired author here is using that word to get our attention. It's almost like he's representing the Israelites saying, okay, God, you thought you could test us? Well, we're going to turn the tables and we're going to put you to the test. Man, that is a dangerous place to be, testing God. Do you remember when Jesus was being tempted by Satan? One of his responses was what? Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Do not test God. It's never wise to test God. And only someone who feels incredibly entitled or ungrateful would be brash enough to go toe-to-toe with God. Enter the Israelites. <laughs> you see, God is not on the hot seat. His people are. And the question was not, will God be faithful to us? Will God show up? Will God lead us? Will God be generous to us? That wasn't the question. Clearly, time and time again, he had shown his faithfulness. The question was, would the people trust him one day at a time? That was the real question. Do you remember he said, you only get enough food for today. You have to have a lot of trust not to get more than that, don't you? Just enough for today. And like we said last week, there were probably some backseat drivers when they came out of Egypt and they didn't go through the Philistine country, but they took a longer route. There was probably some backseat drivers that said, hey, Moses, there's a, there's, hey, there's a shorter way. Hey, my map says something different. We should go... You know, there, there were probably some backseat drivers. You know, you know when Moses gave them, them the instructions to gather manna that there were some naysayers. There were some people going, hey, Moses, that's all fine and good, that one day at a time thing, but you know there's a more efficient way to do this, right? I mean, why should we have to go out every day? What if we want to sleep in one day? Or what if, you know, we want to store some up or try some new recipes? And, you know, so maybe... Maybe we should go out two or three days worth at a time and that kind of thing. You know there were people who said that or at least thought that. And yet following God is not about efficiency. It's about faithfulness. It's about obedience. God said, get enough food for today. Worry about today. Be fully present in this moment. Look for me in this situation. Jesus would later say, don't worry about tomorrow. Today has enough challenges of its own. Remember what we said about the story of the Exodus? It's a a deep dive into the condition, the true condition of the human heart. And so I think the question must also be asked to us. Do you trust God one day at a time? And really think about that question. Zoom in on today. Well, I'm, I'm, you know, God's going to do this in the future and we're going to do, okay, but what about right now in the little things? Do you trust God in the little things? Do you look for God in the conversations? Do you acknowledge the gifts of God? Do you give thanks to God? You know, in the model prayer, we sometimes call it in Matthew 6, Jesus says to pray, you know, give us our daily bread. Most of us don't pray that because that's not really a challenge, right? Literally, 
finding food for today, that's not a huge challenge for most of us. Go to the fridge, you go to a restaurant, you go to the pantry, there's food there, right? So do we understand what it means to rely on God daily? We sometimes have big picture God. God, I'll, I'll take care of today, right? I'll do today, and I'll get through this meeting and this situation, this conversation, and this decision, but if you could just take care of the big things. He told his people, you get enough for today. There had to be a reason. He wanted them to learn to trust him daily. Do you trust God daily? You know, at the beginning of the pandemic, and, and even now to some extent, you go to the, to the grocery store, and some of the shelves are kind of empty, aren't they? You know, we got, I don't know, supply chains I hear about and just other things. But at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, there was this sort of panic, wasn't there? There was so much uncertainty. And so when there's uncertainty, what do we do? We, we start to gather. <laughs> we start to hoard, don't we? Right? Because, you know, what if I go to the store next week or in a couple of weeks and there's not toilet paper on the, on the shelf? That's an emergency that no one wants to deal with, Right? So we, we hoarded. And there were signs on the shelves that say limit one package per customer. Right? So families are like, okay, kids, here's what we're going to do. <laughs> you go get a package of 72 rolls of toilet paper and you go check out over there. You go get a bag of, set, you know, that's what we did. We divide and conquered and we came home with 3,000 rolls of toilet paper. <laughs> Some of you still have toilet paper that you bought two years ago. <laughs> but what if... What if you knew there was always what you needed there? What if you just knew it was always there? That would change some things, wouldn't it? That would change your mindset. That would change your attitude, change your outlook. If you didn't have to worry about it, that it might be gone, that you might not have enough. If you just knew what you needed was always there. You could live with peace, couldn't you? You could be at peace. And you could even pause and be thankful for what you have because you know it's always there. And you could even share what you had with other people because you knew that it wouldn't run out, that there would always be enough. With God, there is always enough. There are no supply chain issues in the storehouses of God. His mercies are new every morning. God will give you what you need. Now, it may look differently than you think. I don't think any of the Israelites were thinking necessarily quail and manna from heaven. Remember, they called it, what is it? But God will give you what you need. The question is not, will God be faithful to take care of you? The question is, will you trust him one day at a time? His mercy, his goodness, his forgiveness, it will not run out. His storehouses are full. And he wants to bless you, provide for you. And he takes his hands and he wraps them around your face and all of your worry and all of your fret and all of your industrial nature to go out and get more and have more and do more. And he says, hey, hey, it's going to be okay. I'm taking care of you taking care of you and once you know that 
and you receive that in faith, it changes everything. You can live with peace. You can live in a way that is generous. You can live with gratitude because you acknowledge that everything you have that is good comes from God. And you can thank him for that. Not because you deserve it, not because you're entitled to it, none of us is, but because God is a good God and he wants to be good to you and to bless you. I am thankful that we serve a gracious God. Listen, this morning, we want to encourage you. Whatever that means, let us do that. Maybe you can be an encouragement for someone else. Take an opportunity to do that. Lift your eyes above self and see God and see others. Join what God is doing in our world. If today you're ready to give your life to Christ, man, don't wait any longer. Confess your faith. You believe Jesus is who he said he was. Be baptized into Christ. He'll lift you up, raise you up as a new creation, a child of God. Do that today. If we can encourage you, pray for you, let us do that. A couple of our shepherds and their wives will be in a parlor, a room right behind me off that hallway. You can exit any door, go there. Just stop in, say hi. Let them pray for you. Let them encourage you. They would love to do that. They're going to pray anyway. Join them there. Or you can come down the front and we'll encourage you today. There's something we can do. I invite you to come as we stand and sing. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling.